Welcome to episode 60 of Pub Crawl, a publishing podcast about reading, writing, books, and occasionally booze. I'm your host, S.J. Jones, called J.J. I'm an author and erstwhile editor. And I'm your co-host, Kelly Van Sant. I am a literary agent and a publishing contracts expert. We are both contributors with the Publishing Crawl blog, and together we have over 15 years of industry experience. And so today we're going to talk about a writing subject, and that is POV, or point Mm -hmm. of view. So, all right, let's talk about point of view. Uh, How would you define it, Kelly? Point of view. I mean, it's kind of right there in the name, point of view. Um, You know, it is the perspective from which your story is told. Right. And so, okay, that's the very basic. So let's kind of talk about the different forms of POV that we use when we write. Um, I would say that there are three, well, really it's kind of like two and a half POVs <laughs> that we use um, in modern writing anyway, as opposed to kind of like back in the olden, you know, the styles and and tastes of, of readers have changed over the years. But nowadays, there's generally first person, and the one and a half other POV is third person, and that's third person limited or third person omniscient. Mm-hmm. True third person omniscient is pretty rare, so we will probably talk about that kind of on its own a little bit later. But so let's talk about first person POV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first person is I. Yeah. <laughs> it it can be interesting because like older novels, particularly those that were written in like the 19th century and a little bit older, often had the conceit of writers or the narrator speaking to the audience even if they are not part of the story. So you mm-hmm. have the convention of the quote dear reader you know, so it's like in Jane Eyre. Of course, Jane Eyre is narrating her own story, but uh, there are a lot of, you know, sort of 18th century novels. Uh, Tom Jones, I believe, you know, kind of in that time period, there was that convention of, dear reader, this is these are the letters that I found that are pertaining to the story. I'm going to tell you the story, blah, 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 blah. So in many ways, the narrator, while not part of the story, is telling you the story in first person, which is kind of confusing. But nowadays, we've sort of removed that distance when it comes to first person, and now the person narrating the story is in the story and is frequently the protagonist of the story, whereas that wasn't always the case. Mm -hmm. So, all right, so let's talk about first person, um, when it's used, why it would be used, uh, when and how you think it's the most effective. I think it's being used a lot right now in young adult Mm -hmm. because young adult is so often about the voice and writing in third person allows your character's voice to be a really important, prominent part of the story. So it's in YA a lot. A lot of YA books are about, you know, identity or about the protagonist's journey. And so that really makes sense in that case to be hearing this story from the person who it happened to. Um, yeah. So it's really intimate. First person is a really intimate, um, voice. Yeah. First person, it is 
pretty common in YA. It's not just YA, but it is the most no. common in YA because of that. It's, it's specifically it's emotional immediacy. The difference in first and third person in terms of perspective is that third person allows some objectivity when it comes to what's happening, what people are doing, what people are thinking. Um, because first person is kind of the only, not the only, but one of the only POVs that you can really get away with like an unreliable narrator, um, which we can also get to a little bit later, um, in the whole first person thing, but the emotional eat emotional immediacy. It's very kind of narrow in scope because when somebody is narrating a story to you in first person, it's about their feelings. It's about how they're experiencing the world. It's how they are relating. Everything always comes back to the I. So when you're choosing a first person perspective, it's just by the function of its, you know, by the function of being first person, it's going to be narrow in scope. That's not to say that the story or the narrative as a whole can't have a broader scope, but what, you know, what the protagonist experiences is basically what you're limited to in that POV. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to have a lot of twists or, or not twists. You can have twists that also surprise, you know, the protagonist, things that happen where the protagonist is always also surprised. But in first person, it's hard to give the reader information that the protagonist doesn't know. Right. It's more common to have the protagonist withhold information to the reader from the reader. Um, this can happen, obviously, like the unreliable narrator, which we talked about, um, or unreliable narrator, which I like one when it's well done. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's not well done, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the An example of one that I think is fairly well done is Liar by Justine Larbestier. Yes. Yes. The, it's kind of hard to describe this book to you. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's about, <laughs> yeah, it's about a young woman who she says straight off the bat that she's a liar. She's lying to you and that she has a problem with lying. And as the story unfolds, you get kind of conflicting bits of information um, it's really, it's, you should just read it probably cause it, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot harder to describe than it is. Um, but it's an, I think it's a pretty good example of an unreliable narrator. Not everybody will agree with me because I think everyone's threshold for this kind of a thing is different, but I mm-hmm. thought that was a pretty well done example. I think a poor example of the unreliable first person narrator is the thief by Megan Whalen Turner. Now, I think I've said that I do actually really love the series a lot, and but I hated, hated the twist of the first book, The Thief, because basically the twist hinges on the fact that your first person protagonist, our protagonist, uh, Jen, is just not telling you everything, just like com- com- conveniently omitting a piece, a huge kind of piece of the puzzle and when it's finally revealed to you you're just like there's no hint of it and i read that as soon as i found out what that twist was i went back and reread the book like maybe i missed something maybe i missed a clue nope it's not there he just withholds that information for you from you from the entire book and i hated it (laughs) so 
To me, that's an example of an unreliable narrator not executed particularly well. Mm-hmm. So, do you like first person? I do like first person. I th- I like third person better. I think if I had to pick a favorite POV, it would be third person. Limited is probably my favorite. Um, but... I do like first person if the main character's voice is interesting and if it's a story that should be told in first person. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the the pros of first person we've already discussed, right? So it's emotional intimacy, you're close to the protagonist, you have access to the main character's thoughts and feelings in an intimate way. Um you know, so those are all really positive things about using that POV. And when employed correctly, that can be really beneficial. But I think I see a lot of <laughs> how to be diplomatic about this. I think I see a lot of writers in YA um, writing in first person because they think it's easier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you can kind of just do these I statements and, and, um, I think there's this belief that it's easier to write. And so a lot of times I think that it is used in places where third person might be better for the story. And I think sometimes it's used in places where the, main character doesn't have a distinct enough voice to justify that kind of point of view. So I think that first person is a little bit of a crutch. Um, sometimes I think when done well, it's really great. And I don't know if we're interested in getting into the whole thing of tenses or not too, because, you know, we can discuss that. Yeah. There's first person past, which is pretty, you know, standard. I walked to my car and got in and turned the key. You're that's in past tense. Um, since the first one that I can think of, honestly, is The Hunger Games, was one of the first books that I remember reading that was in first person present, where Katniss is narrating the story as it happens to her. Mm-hmm. And so everything is in the present tense. I walk to my car and turn it on and, you know, shut the door rather than being in past. And it really works in the book, The Hunger Games, because once she gets into the arena and the book becomes so hyper-focused on action and survival, that first person present lends a real urgency to the story that I don't think you would get in quite the same way if it was in first person past. So in that case, I think it was the perfect choice of POV and tense. But I am seeing especially in my query box right now, I'm seeing a lot of first person present for no discernible reason. And it is not easy to read. You and I have talked before on the podcast about how we kind of want the pros to just disappear and get out of our way, Yeah, you know, like get out of the way so that we can, you know, involve, like involve ourselves in the story. And I find first person present really distracting when there's not a clear reason why it's being used. Yeah, it comes back to, for me, I think 
So I also, I do like first person when it's done well. Um, but like Kelly, I do prefer third person a little bit more. And that it, it actually comes down to, for me, is the question of why is this person talking to me? <laughs> if I can buy into the conceit that this person is just telling me their story, that's fine. That's where the voice part comes in, right? So you've just sat down and someone's telling you the story of their life. That's fine. Um, and if the voice is compelling enough, then I'll go with it. You know, this is a really entertaining person or this is a really great storyteller. I'm just going to listen to what they have to tell me. Um, so the reason first person present sticks out so much is because you are with them. You're kind of this invisible presence hovering over their shoulder as they're going about their day. And it's necessarily very voyeuristic. And if you're not a skilled enough writer to make it feel like you're in the action, then it weirdly feels distancing despite being first person. Um, th- yeah, but it is that conceit of why is this person talking to me for, you know, in the past, as I mentioned before, in the 18th century novels, it was, you know, I'm going to tell you the story of this person. And the, the conceit that they get around is, oh, I found a bunch of letters. Or there's the epistolary novel where it's like a bunch of letters that people are sending to each other, or it's a diary or whatever. You know, there's that kind of conceit around why you'd be talking in first person and who you were talking to and why. Um, we've sort of mostly nowadays kind of done away with that conceit, that nest, like that needing to have a, a raison d'être to get into the book that way. Um, but third, like first person present, it, it is distancing if it's not done well, but it can be done well. As Kelly mentioned, the, the Hunger Games also Lilla Bray's, um, a great and terrible beauty is written in first person present. Yep. And I remember I told Kelly that she's like, it, it is. I didn't believe it. I had to go back and read it again. And I was like, you're right. It was written that way. But that's an example of where it wasn't noticeable, where I didn't notice mm-hmm. that it was in first person present. And it just, and I just immediately got into the story and that was it. So it's, it's not like it can't be done, but if it's not done well, it, you notice it. And the last thing that I want, particularly when, you know, like I said, first person is, is intimate when, so you, when you're privy to this sort of intimacy, the last thing you want is something that feels distancing. Of course, that is somewhat of a personal preference. I I know other people don't care perhaps as much. Um, Some people, it doesn't bother them as much, but for me, it definitely sticks out. That's kind of where I come down on the first person present versus past. But then if I think about past too hard, I'm like, but why are you talking to me? And then I get into this weird headspace. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's kind of me and, and first person. <laughs> so, okay. So that we kind of talked very briefly about that. So let's go on to third person. So we talked about limited and omniscient. So what's the difference? Limited third person. So third person, first of all, is being told by someone else outside of the story. Um, it, you know, uses character names. Harry raised his wand and cast a spell. Um, you know, is third person. So third person limited 
follows a single character or a small group of characters very closely. We don't learn everything about everyone in the universe. We don't fly, you know, around from person to person. Harry Potter is, for the most part, with some exceptions, third person limited. We're very close to Harry. We get some insight into his thoughts and feelings. The action, for the most part, sticks with him and we see things from his perspective. But Harry isn't the person telling us the story. Somebody else is telling us the story who has almost, you know, supernatural um, like insights into what Harry thinks and feels. Yeah, third person limited tends to be this is when we talk about head hopping sometimes when we have that problem mm-hmm. in books. But third person limited is much more common than third person omniscient and omniscient third person it gives like it's what it sounds like. They're they're all knowings, all knowing, right? So they know yeah. what what everybody is doing or thinking, and um, so that's actually pretty rare these days. Yeah. Third person limited they- is just you're closer, so you know often people kind of differentiate third person limited so that you stay in one person's head for one chapter or one scene, mm-hmm. and then you kind of stay, then you kind of move to another person's head in one in a mm-hmm. discreet separate chapter or scene so mm-hmm. otherwise if you head hop which maybe we can define a little bit later it starts to get confusing as to what is going on yeah yeah third person omniscient i don't really see much i can't really even think too much about a recent novel that employed that the thing that i think of when i think of third person omniscient is always the movie stranger than fiction which mm. I really love. But essentially the conceit of the movie is that Harold Crick um, is walking around and all of a sudden he hears a narrator in his head and it's sparked by this little did he know that, you know, it was going to be his inevitable death or something like that. I can't remember the rest of the line. Um, but that little did he know that we're knowing things that the characters don't right. know, that, you know, there's this omniscient person who knows all and can give the reader information that none of our characters have access to. It's a little bit like Arrested Development kind of has that too, that third person omniscient. You have the narrator, like, and you know, this, the action pauses and they kind of give a commentary on what's happening on the action. Mm-hmm. And you can do that with third person omniscient. And yeah, it's really hard to find books written that way. I think. A lot of books in third person have sections where there's a kind of an omniscient POV going on. Um, you know, for example, I think the first person, the first chapter of the first Harry Potter book does kind of get to that omniscient place. Um, yeah. And in fact, actually, omniscient can be pretty common in middle grade, I think. More common, mm-hmm. I think, in middle grade than perhaps adult or young adult. Um, yeah, because that conceit of telling a story is more present there. Yeah, the omniscience, in it, it can be kind of blurry because there's, you know, uh, one of my favorite books that I've talked about before, uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, is... I would say it's an omniscient POV, but we do stick with characters at a time and we kind of get into their thoughts and feelings. The chapters are discreet. And then periodically the narrator who 
is apparently a person and the narrator is female. So we're going to assume that the narrator is Susanna Clark because she says so. Um, occasionally pulls out and offers kind of commentary on what is happening. It's very, but you know, the problem with third person, again, sort of like first person present, the problem with omniscient is that if you're too heavy handed, it's extremely awkward and noticeable and clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do like third person omniscient. I do think it's really hard to sustain an entire novel with it though. Um, and it's kind of like if you guys have watched it, watched Arrested Development, which I do like, it's not the narrator constantly narrating the lives of the Bluths. It's just periodically the narrator comes in and, and says something and has a comment. So it, it's, it's hard to do. I'll try and think of maybe some other ones. I think the disreputable history of Frankie Landau Banks by E. Lockhart. Uh, is actually a good chunk of it is also in third person omniscient and it's great. I really like that book kind of a lot. Um, and I highly recommend it. So then for third person limited, why do you like it? Why do I like it? I think it gives me, I think it's the most invisible to me when I'm reading. Um, I like the closeness with the main character, because it's pretty close. I'm able to access the character's thoughts and feelings. And so I would say it's mostly those two things that I like about it. I think the reason that I prefer it over first person is that um, probably ultimately does come down to voice. You can have a distinct voice in third person that is not necessarily the voice of your main character. Mm -hmm. That is something else. And I think a lot of times that can elevate work in some ways, if it's done well and it's good and the book has a distinct voice. Um, And I think you're able, even if it's not, you know, even if the voice in third person isn't prominent, even if it's just invisible, I think you avoid some of the pitfalls that you can fall into with first person, where if the voice isn't really distinct in first person, that's a problem. Whereas if it isn't distinct in third person, it's, you know, just fine. Um, I think it's just the one that I enjoy reading the most. It's probably the most traditional POV. So I'm sure that has something to do with it too. Um, you know, that it's familiar and comfortable. And most of the books that I read in my childhood Mm -hmm. were probably in that POV. Um, but yeah, I think it really is a mixture of that invisibility plus access to the character. I think third person limited is the easiest POV to write in one. (laughs) I think it is. I think it's actually our natural storytelling voice perhaps is third person limited when we're telling story to about someone else to to each other i think that's what we fall into naturally i also think the reason i like it is that you have some emotional immediacy but you also have context what you kind of don't have in first person because it, like i said before it's so narrow in scope and so emotionally intimate you don't necessarily have context so and it's very hard Not that it is impossible, but it's hard to give a sense of context outside of first-person POV. Um, And sometimes I do, I remember reading some manuscripts where it was in first-person, but then 
sections of it were almost like it was a third person thing where they were. And I was like, but why, how, how would you know what this person is thinking if you're the one narrating this story and you're not the one in their head? And it was kind of, again, if it pulls me out of the experience of reading a book, then it's probably the wrong POV or the wrong whatever that you're writing in. So I do like third person limited. I do. It's, I think the most flexible because you can go as close you can be very close to the character. You can kind of almost be in that character's head. You can, what uh, in my academic classes we used to say was free indirect discourse, where uh, some of the third person narration is a first person thought. Um, And then you can, but this is what I mean about third person being flexible. You can go in that close and then you can pull out again. All of Jane Austen's works, and in fact, Jane Austen was really the pioneer of, of free direct, indirect discourse, where you can go in close, where she went in closer to her characters and then pulled out and gave context. And um, so I, that's why I like to read it, and that's also why I like to write in it, because again, I think it's the most flexible and it offers the most options. Um, here's the thing Have you ever read a book that was in third person present? don't think so. Would you read a book in third person present? I don't think so. (laughs) I think, I think it would sound stalkerish, right? Like it sounds weird. There is, there is a book I remember reading published that was in third person present and I just couldn't, I just couldn't buy it. I was like, why, why? Why is it like this? Um, it's just, it does sound strange. Like she gets up out of bed and takes a shower. Like, I guess I can deal with that in sort of shorter bursts, like a short story. I can kind of deal with, um, third person present. I think I can do that yeah. in a short story form, form, but an entire novel is like, it was just weird. I just could not get into it at all. Yeah, no, I don't think I would enjoy that. No, she wakes up at six o'clock in the morning and she takes a shower. Then she walks to the car. It, it, it just, it sounds, which is kind of interesting because I've noticed personally, because I think I've mentioned previous in previous podcasts, when I write, I tend to write what I call the long shitty synopsis beforehand. And that long shitty synopsis is generally in third person present. And I think that's because it works better when it's short, when I'm describing what someone is doing, you know, like for example, I I did one for winter song and I think I posted it on my newsletter, but it was basically like Liesl is the daughter of, of two innkeepers in Bavaria. One day her sister disappears. And so that is third person present, but it's, it has no voice to it. That's that's the thing about third person present. It is impossible to get a voice in there. It not impossible. I shouldn't I shouldn't say anything is impossible, but it's really hard. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you think about rotating POV? Like rotating first person or Either first or third, just when you have a book with multiple POVs, do you like that? Do you not like it? I like it. Well, (laughs) (laughs) 
It depends. Uh, of course. As, you know, generally every answer is. But for the most part, if it's a third person, written in third person, I mind less when there's multiple POVs. Um, you know, for example, uh, Lee Bardugo's Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom is a rather enormous cast, if you think about it. At least six POVs. I think Crooked Kingdom has seven. Mm-hmm. So, um, and obviously you're with a specific character at each time, you know, you're, it, it's necessarily filtered through whoever's chapter you're in, but it still mm-hmm. is, gives you context to what is going on, on elsewhere. So I think Lee does that quite well. I am less enamored of rotating POVs if it's first person because of the difficulty of making those voices distinct. I think also at most, I can handle two first-person POVs. Beyond that, no. (laughs) Of course, there are going to be exceptions to everything, but generally, I'm not a huge fan. What about you? Yeah, I I agree. I think that... um particularly in first person. I think oftentimes the problem with rotating POV in first person is that it's usually two main characters. Usually they're involved in a romance of some kind, sometimes not, but usually. Um, And I always think that one voice is just stronger than the other. Yeah, in the same way. I just, I dread reading the other chapters. It sucks. And so you spend, I spend half the book being miserable and wishing I could just get back to the other POV. And that's not great. I think it's really hard to write two first person POVs in a way that makes them both compelling and yet distinct enough because, you know, also you run the risk of them both just sounding the same. And yes. that's another big problem. Yep. Um, I do mind it less in third person. Um, I do think that you have to be careful because even if you're in third person, like JJ just said, it's still being filtered through a particular character's experience. So they're still going to notice something that maybe the previous character wouldn't have paid attention to, or, you know, the vocabulary will be different or things will just be different by virtue of the fact that we're closer to another character. And so I think you do have to be careful of that and make sure that, you know, that you're filtering it appropriately. Um, and I think that, you know, I think unless you are, a master of your craft, like Lee Bardugo, then maybe stay away from six POVs. <laughs> I think she does it astonishingly well. I love those books, and I think that you know she is truly um, impeccable at her craft. Um, but I think in lesser hands, that might not go so well to have such a large cast. So maybe keep it to like two, maybe three max, <laughs> if you're if you're at the beginning of your writing career. I also think introducing POVs slowly helps. Mm. Um, because, well, the thing is, Lee's books, or at least the, the Six of Crows duology, was kind of helped by the fact that each chapter had a giant chapter heading with the name of the character whose POV that you're following. Honestly, I don't think it's, I didn't think it was necessary to have it there. Um, but, you know, just so you know whose POV you're in, each chapter had an enormous heading in front of it. 
But I think I'm trying to think of a, an example, which obviously I can't now. Um, but you can like I, I do remember. And I think actually the example I'm thinking of is fan fiction, like really long, epic fan fiction. Just I remember because specifically the one I'm thinking of is Cassandra Clare's Draco trilogy. Of what other one could you be thinking of? Oh, there are plenty of, of others. The only fan fiction there is. <laughs> there are plenty of others. Um, but specifically, I'm thinking of Cassandra Clare. And actually, you know, now that I think about it, that I mentioned her fanfic, she does this in her published work, too. In that all of her books are in third person. And the, at least the Mortal Instruments starts out pretty much in Clary's POV, third-person POV. But as the series progresses, she starts to incorporate more POVs. We get Jace, we get Simon, we get Isabel, we get Alec. You know, so we kind of, the cast grows in terms of POV, but she doesn't drop it all on you at once. So it's easier to to do it that way, I think. And I think she actually does it quite well. Um but yeah, dropping a whole bunch of POVs on a person is pretty is pretty overwhelming, I think, because you're trying to be like, who is this? What 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 relationship? Do, you're trying to figure out what relationship people have to each other and all that sort of stuff. I think. I mean, it's kind of the problem I have with Game of Thrones, it, the TV show, because I saw the TV show before I read the first book. So I had no idea who any of these characters were. They all looked alike. They all sounded alike. And I could not remember anyone's names. And they all seemed to be part of one giant family. And But I think I stuck with it. And I'm glad I did. Because probably about like three or four episodes into that show, I think I finally started straightening out this enormous cast. Um, and again, in George R. R. Martin's books, there's the name of the character whose POV you're in kind of at the beginning of each chapter. That kind of helps you, kind of ground you in the story and which part of the story, which part of the narrative you're in, because that's a, an enormous, sprawling narrative by now. I'm not even sure if he knows how to finish this book series. Um, the rumor is that Winds of Winter is supposed to be out this year. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> I think... The first person, though, I remember because I was, I'm not going to name the book, but I read, this is a trilogy. It was a young adult trilogy. And the first book was in first person, and it was just one character's POV. And then the second book was split equally between the original narrator and another character. So you had two POVs. I, even though each chapter was headed by their name, I had to continually flip back to see whose part of the story I was in. And it was really difficult to tell because the voice was essentially identical for both. And it wasn't helped by the fact that the landscape that they were both in, even though like the story that like they were separated, the two characters are separated. So they're theoretically telling two different pieces of the story the the surroundings and the characters that they were surrounded with were indistinct enough as well that I couldn't tell I was lost I was I that was the most unpleasant reading experience I've had I think cuz I just had to just like every two pages I had to be like wait who is this again 
Because, and then I, I remember because I would be reading a chapter and I'd be like, oh, wait, I thought the other character was doing this. And then I'd flip back and be like, well, <laughs> I, I got so confused and I got so lost. So, yeah, that's that's a huge pitfall of having multiple POVs in first person. So, hence, I like to stick to just one when it's first person, at least as much as possible. So then let's let's talk about other points of view and by other if there's a first and then there's a third what about second <laughs> don't do it guys all right so here's here's second second person is you you woke up in the morning and took a shower and whatever um it is you is used in nonfiction which makes a lot of sense if it's a self-help book or an instruction manual or whatever else you do this and you put that there and you build this thing that works. You is also um, a holdover for us eighties uh, and nineties kids from choose your own adventure, <laughs> which makes sense because you, the reader are the person choosing what happens next in the story. So that works um, for Contemporary fiction, for fantasy, for whatever, for fiction being written in the modern era, don't do it. I don't, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sure that there are exceptions out there of second person books done well. I haven't read them. To be honest, I don't think I've ever read a book uh, with a second person POV. So I'm sure that there are some out there that are, are well done and I've just never read them. Um, I've also never read any terrible ones because I just won't do that to myself. <laughs> um I just, I am not the character. You're, when you, when you're writing fiction in the second person, you are putting the reader in the place of your protagonist and you're assigning feelings to me and actions to me. And, and the conceit is that I'm supposed to go along with it and like see myself as this person in this way. And I just, I can't make that kind of identity shift. And I'm somebody who really emotionally attaches to my fiction. And I, I emotionally identify with my characters all the time and with things that I read and things that I watch. So you'd think that that would be easy for me to do, but I find it really off-putting. Um, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> don't do it. I, I have not read a novel written in second person I know that there is a novel called You by Carolyn Kepneys that I, I've actually heard very good things about. I have not read it. Um, I have read short stories in second person, and that can work. Again, a lot of things I feel can work shorter form than longer form. Um, specifically, I'm thinking of the short story, Story of Your Life by Ted Chiang. I think I mentioned this. Uh, it's the one that was based that was the basis for the movie Arrival. And the story is uh, somebody telling... T basically, the, the conceit of the story is that you have your main character who is telling the story of her daughter's life to her daughter. So this is the story of your life. I'm telling you the story of your life. And that works for me as a conceit because the, the narrator is a distinct character and that, that narrator is telling me something about I, it, it, it works in that way, and it, I think if it was an entire novel, I'd probably be like, "What?" Um, 
I will admit that I wrote in second person in college for my uh, great American novel that I is mean, I terrible. think we all probably did. Well, I had, so this, like, I'm going to embarrass myself and talk about this. So this was the, the work that I wrote when I thought I should be writing literature. Um, mm. <laughs> but basically it was, there were sections of it that were actually letters, but they were the sort of the same way story of your life is structured. The you in it, she's specifically talking to a, a character. You did this, you did this, I was there and you did this sort of a thing. So that is a form of second person, but it's also second person in that the first person is also involved. The way the story of your life is, that's that short story by Ted Chiang. So the second person can can work, I think, in limited doses. That's basically... Anything can work in limited doses, though. And the interesting thing is, it's like, <laughs> I'm not much of a short story person. I don't write them. I don't necessarily read them, but when they're done well, they're like just great. (laughs) When they're, when they're done well, they're really, really, really good. Um, and particularly, so I'm going to go back to story of your life because that also does something very masterful with tenses. Um, I don't know if you guys, have seen Arrival or not because I don't want to spoil this movie for you. I think it's worth, I think it's absolutely worth watching. But I will say that it has to do with time. Not time travel. It's not time travel in that way, but it does do with time, the nature of time and how we perceive time. And that comes across in the short story by way of how he uses tenses in the book. It's really, really masterfully done. So I highly recommend, I just, I thought he was great. I, that, that short story collection like blew my mind. So (laughs) I, I highly recommend it. Do we have any parting thoughts on second person or POV in general? I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered everything that I wanted to touch on today. Yeah. I mean, I think you can be as intentional about POV as you want or don't want to be. I am somewhat intentional about choosing the POV that I write in for Winter Song, particularly. I, as I've said, I prefer to write in third person. I prefer to read third person, but I felt that because the story was so intimate that it was better served by a first person narrative. And it honestly, it was hard for me to get started anyway. I, it was like finding a muscle I hadn't used and it was, it was difficult for me, but I, I was intentional about it. Um, I think when, when, especially for beginning writers, write in the POV that feels the most natural to you. And then you can start practicing outside of that. And again, I think this is where short fiction is great because short fiction, you can get away with that kind of a thing. And once you practice that, and then you can expand those skills out into a full-length novel. All right, so let's move on. What have you been working on? Um, agenting stuff. <laughs> That's it. I've got. Um, I've. I'm rereading my client's manuscript um, to give her 
her light revisions. And um, so that's what I'm working on right now. Pretty much. That's it. That and queries. I closed January with, I think, 476 queries received. Yeah, as of today, February, recording this on February 1st, as of today, I have responded to 198 of them. Oh my goodness. So I have a lot more to go, <laughs> but I've only been open to queries for two and a half weeks. So um, I am both terrified and elated about what a full month will bring to my inbox. Wow. Um, wow. So, Yeah. I'm not even working on book two. I am working on all the promotion for Winter's Long. I am exhausted. It's soon, right? Six days as of this recording. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I am nervous. Just, you know, the way anybody I think would be nervous before like, or at least I was nervous before like a piano recital or something. Um, excited and nervous, you know. Um, I... Just, but I'm. I haven't really written in book two, just because I've had to answer all these blog post questions and write up kind of short pieces for my UK publisher. One weekend I spent just signing book plates. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah, it just a lot of this is time consuming, and I knew that about you know an author being an author is a job as well, and. <laughs> I, I I intellectually knew that, and I s- thought I was prepared for that, but my God, am I exhausted. <laughs> so I, I go to my day job, and it's like I work there, and I work for eight hours, and I come home, and it's not even that I can come home and write. I come home and do, I answer emails, I write up small pieces, I just do all this various and sundry work like logistical or bureaucratic work. Um, so yeah, no, no writing, but aside from that, a lot of promo stuff. That's, that's what I'm working on. (laughs) Have you had time to read anything? I have not done any pleasure reading this week. Mm -mm. Nope. I, uh, what about you? Well, I have started rereading all of, J.K. Rowling's um, Robert Galbraith novels, so the ones that the adult, the adult thrillers that she wrote, uh-huh. and that was mostly because I was in an audiobook hole. <laughs> um, I was looking for an audiobook to listen to. I'd run out of credits because I used my credit on Carval by Stephanie Garber. Um, so, but like the whole month of January, I didn't have anything to listen to and I didn't know what I wanted to listen to while <laughs> I was at work. And I settled on the Corman strike novels, um, because the narrator is fantastic. So I was like, oh, this would be, this is good. It's, it's also like re-listening or rereading them and listening to them again. They're just really good, you guys. Like, so Kelly and I talked about how every time J.K. Rowling opens her mouth about Harry Potter, it kind of makes us like Harry Potter a little less. <laughs> um, just because there's a lot of cultural and just insensitivity, I think. Not malicious, but she, you know, insensitivity about racial issues, about, you know, other, about 
other issues of either disability or sexual orientation or queer issues or things like that, just kind of tone deaf. But the thing is, reading her adult work, it is so much more diverse and nuanced than her Harry Potter novels. And I actually think she does them really well. I think she's always had a gift for just great characters, really memorable characters. Um, but the, the protagonist of her Cormoran Strike books, he is a disabled veteran. He lost a leg in Afghanistan. So he walks around with prosthesis. Um, the first book dealt a little bit with mental illness and, um, a mixed race model. And it's, I mean, it, it dealt with a lot of those themes because Cormorant has to investigate this parts of the, the victim's life to kind of get a sense for what happened and pull a picture together. Not that I think it's like the greatest in, in terms of representation, but she's just so much more nuanced in this than she was in Harry Potter. So I, it's just kind of like, but why can't you apply that, that sensitivity and subtlety to your Harry Potter works, or are you just desperate for a cash cow? I'm not sure. So, been rereading those. I am also reading Seven Ways, Seven Ways We Lie by Riley Redgate. Uh, I'm part of a book club, and that was the book club pick. And I, as I mentioned, Caraval. So I did download that yesterday and started listening to that. And the last Maria V. Snyder book came out as well. I haven't started it, Dawn Study, but uh, I think I actually have to reread those because I don't remember what happens. Because I read them, I binged them so fast. <laughs> I don't really remember what happens, kind of. So that's, that's what I'm reading. Any off-menu recommendations? No. <laughs> nope i i've been struggling for for uh escapism this this week and not really finding it anywhere so nothing to recommend yeah <laughs> yeah i trying to stay off of social media i i do for the most part during the day and then i come home and then i get paralyzed and then i get angry and then the next morning i call my representatives um, it's kind of a vicious cycle in that way. And I feel like I can't escape. I don't have anything new in terms of off many recommendations, mostly because as I'd mentioned previously, I just don't have time to do any of it. I don't have time to enjoy any of it. I don't have time to go see a movie. I don't have time to watch television. Um, the only reason I'm reading anything is because I'm listening to it on audio. And also because I fly out to LA this weekend and I fully intend to, um, actually, I don't even intend to read. I'll be completely honest. Movies, the only way I watch movies these days seems to be on cross-country flights. <laughs> like, what was I? I think on the way back from L.A. over Christmas, I watched the new Ghostbusters movie. The, the all-female one. Um, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was really funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was quite funny. Um, I watched that. I watched Captain America... Uh, no, I watched Captain America Civil War on the plane. I want... So it's like my only way to catch up on movies is basically 
flying, so I'm probably not even going to read on the plane. Let's be completely honest. Um, that's that's all I got. So I don't believe we have any new questions. So yeah, do we have anything else we want to talk about today? I don't think so. Yeah, it's it's rough. It's rough out there politically, so it's kind of hard to to focus on publishing. I think sometimes it's a lot of whiplash for me because if you do follow me on Twitter, you'll generally see me yelling about politics, and then periodically, then you'll see me talk about my book, and it just feels like I've got two separate personalities living in two different realities every time I talk about my book. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I know that feeling. Oh my gosh. And everyone's just like, Oh, are you thinking about your book? And I was like, No, I'm I'm thinking about the state of the world, so I don't really have time to panic or feel nervous about my book. So that's not good. <laughs> that's all for this week. Next week we're gonna lob a softball at you in that we're gonna talk about my book. We're gonna talk about Winter Song. Yay! It will be out, uh, as we said, as of this recording. Actually, as of this posting, it will be out. Um, but the following week, hopefully after you guys have had a chance to read it, maybe you can submit questions to us about that if you want to know about the writing process, I guess where I came up with the idea and all that sort of stuff. You can ask me questions about what it's like to launch a book. So you can ask me about Winter Song. So that's that's next week. You guys, go ahead and and <laughs> ask us. Um, if you've read the book or not. So, uh, anyway, as always, if you want more, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Pickle, or your podcast provider of choice. Also, if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance as it helps other listeners find the podcast. If you want more pub crawl goodness, you can go to our website, publishingcrawl.com, where we have many more posts and articles about various aspects of reading, writing, and the publishing industry. You can also follow us on Twitter at PubCrawlBlog, as well as on Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at PublishingCrawl. You can follow me, JJ, at SJJones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter, or my website, sjjones.com. And you can follow me, Kelly, at BookishChick, on Twitter or Instagram, or my website, penandparsley.com. Our theme music is Quirky Dog by Kevin McLeod, and our logo is designed by Aaron Bowman, author of the forthcoming Retribution Rails, available to be determined. <laughs> if you have any further questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email us at publishingcrawl at gmail.com or send us an ask through Tumblr. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.